Howdy, howdy, everyone. It's the third episode of the Five Figures Podcast. I'm Callum, your intrepid host. It is a Monday here in Australia. Probably a Sunday for all you Northern Hemisphere dwellers, who probably serve as the majority of my audience, all five of you. Anyway, episode three. We're going to be talking about last weekend's card, UFC on ESPN, Font versus Vera. We're also going to be talking very briefly about a couple of fights in PFL, just the ones that I managed to catch. I didn't catch a whole lot, to be honest. I saw that Hannum Fiera got that finish over Jamel Jones. That was pretty interesting. Bruno Capelosa finished Stuart Austin from the three-quarter mount late in the first round. That was cool. And Kyle Boschniak got uh, pieced up for the vast majority of his fight with Bubba Jenkins. In a return to form from Bubba after getting wrestle-fucked last season by Chris Wade. So that was cool. But let's focus on the UFC on ESPN card, because for the most part, I mean, it had some fucking duds. It had Andrei Arlovsky versus Jake Collier, which at this point in his career, Andrei Arlovsky co-headlining a card? No. Get him the fuck out of there. He can headline the prelims. As much as I love Andrei Arlovsky, I don't think I've enjoyed any of his fights that much for like five goddamn years. Jesus, since like his fight with Josh Barnett. But that's okay. Oh, his fight with Tai Chu of us was pretty good. That's beside the point. That was a stinker. There were a couple of other stinkers on here, but, you know, for the most part, it was a pretty decent card. Let's start with the main event, which was a catch weight, unfortunately, because Rob Font decided he was going to miss weight. I don't think I've actually seen an explanation from Rob himself or his team. I don't know whether it was him fucking up on the scales or whether he realized he wasn't going to make it a couple of hours out and just decided, fuck it, I'm not going to continue pushing myself. I'm just going to ride it out and take the advantage, I guess. So I, I don't know what the excuse was. Regardless, didn't seem to play too much of a factor in this fight. His cardio was sensational. Yeah, okay, this fight, it's a tale of two fights ultimately. About 20 minutes of this fight, Rob Font beat the shit out of Marlon Vera thanks to his superior volume. I mean, it was essentially just a rerun of his fight with Aldo, where for three and a half to four minutes of any given round, Rob Font was showcasing the full depth, the breadth of his skill set. He has a sensational jab, as we saw against Cody Garbrandt and Sergio Pettis. He's been working in the jab cross better more recently. I, I think his jab cross is getting better and better and better. His combination work has been taking leaps and bounds the past few years as he's rocketed up these bantamweight rankings and additionally he's been working in his takedowns I think a lot more fluently than he has in the past more recently against Aldo he he really entered on some nice takedown attempts and we didn't see as much of that in this fight with Marlon Vera, but the point still stands. I feel like he has really rounded himself out effectively, and he's become a very dangerous guy because of that. So yeah, he was doing so much good in this fight. His jab looked fantastic, particularly when he doubled it up. He wasn't able to beat Marlon's jab out too often when they were jabbing together, because I think Marlon had a snappier jab. He works with Jason Perillo. He's He's got very fundamentally sound striking, I find. Uh, but when Rob was doubling up his jab and didn't have to beat Cheeto's jab, he was having a lot of success. He was really doing well with his right hook to the body and his rear hand uppercut. And the interesting thing is, it wasn't just when Cheeto was orthodox or anything, because Cheeto was switching constantly throughout this fight. No, it was in either stance, Cheeto was getting hit, with a right hook to the body or a rear hand uppercut from Rob Font. That rear hand uppercut is, it kind of irritates me now. Uh, removed from the fight, I'm now a bit irritated by the fact that Rob wasn't using it as frequently as he probably should have been. Because in the first and second rounds, he's throwing this double jab rear hand uppercut or a single jab rear hand uppercut. And Vera is so good at blocking straight shots down the middle that you've kind of you've got to come up the middle underneath so the uppercut or come around with the hooks and and Rob was throughout the entire fight throwing a 1 2 3 and it was that 
left hook at the end of the combination that was doing the most damage. But when, when you come right down the middle with straight shots, you don't have as much success. So the rear-hand uppercut was a really good weapon for him because he was still coming up the middle. It was just he was coming from underneath. And and Cheeto wasn't parrying those those shots as effectively as he was the straight shots. But alas, he, he kind of gave up after the second round with that specific strike, even though he was having a fuckload of success with it. I don't know, maybe he was caught with a counter whilst throwing it at one point early on in the fight, and that dissuaded him for the rest of the contest, but shit. I feel like he should have gone back to that more so as the fight went on into the latter stages, as it went into the championship rounds. Alas, he didn't, whatever. So yeah, he started out with those kind of weapons. Rear-hand uppercut was working a treat. That right hook to the body, which is a difficult shot to land against both southpaws and orthodox. Rear-hand hooks to the body. You've got to cover so much distance to land that effectively. And he was landing that effectively. It was really impressive. His volume was off the fucking charts. He was throwing constantly. His, his hands were like pistons. And he was picking up both of his legs really effectively. We noticed last week, Lando Venata, when he fought Charles Jourdain, he was picking up the lead leg as if he was going to tape, and he was doing it in this set rhythm. So Jourdain was able to time him and ultimately landed, I believe it was a straight left, as Lando picked up his lead leg, just in his own rhythm. Jourdain landed that straight left, and ultimately it led to the, the submission that ended the fight. Now, in that instance, I didn't feel like Lando was particularly convincing when he's picking up that leg. Again, I, re I repeat, it was a rhythm kind of thing. It didn't feel like an actual legitimate feint, like he was picking it up, preparing to kick. I don't think Jordan was biting on that. Whereas Rob Font, when he was picking up his legs to kick, or when he was just picking up his legs, you know, generally speaking, Vera bought it. He bought it as a legitimate feint. And it was really opening up Rob's hands. There were a couple of times where he picked up the rear leg, the right leg, and then he threw the right straight behind it. And he actually landed a couple of times. So that's cool. And then even in the clinch, he was having success. Cheeto's, one of the things that Cheeto does so well is utilizing his elbows in the clinch, just dirtying up a fight. He's very willing to engage in that dirty boxing range, get on the inside, land his elbows up the middle. He has a great step-in elbow as well. And Rob was the one who was really controlling a lot of those clinch exchanges. Even when they were both swimming for, for double-collar ties, Rob felt like the one in control, of, and let's say he came out of it with a single-collar tie, he was looking for bicep control on the other side, and then he was looking to swing that, that arm with bicep control over the top and, and come down with an elbow. And then he would break, he would push off Cheeto and, and attain the space again, reassert the distance. He looked so fucking good for so long in this fight. And then at the end of these rounds, he was just getting pipped. I think initially, the first knockdown occurred at the, the end of the second round. It occurred with about 20, between 30 and 20 seconds left in that second round. And Rob got hit with a leaping left hook. And I think Cheeto was able to time it because Rob has a habit of slipping to the outside and away and then returning fire with the right hand. So he becomes quite used to and comfortable moving out to his right. Not even when his, his opponents are flurrying in on him. I just mean he likes moving out to his right generally because he has a lot of power on that side and he's able to slip to the outside and come back with the right hand. And Cheeto seemed to recognize that he was moving out in that direction and then at the end of the second round catches him with this leaping left hook as Rob is heading that way, as he's moving into the left hook, and it drops his ass. And he, he nearly seems to finish. End of the round. Cool. Marlon looks like he steals the round because whilst, you know, the first round's a 10-9 in favor of Rob, almost bordering on a 10-8 just because of the sheer differential in volume. But uh, ultimately, I concede Cheeto was still frequent enough in his offense that it's probably not a 10-8. It's probably a 10-9, even with the new system of scoring. Okay? Now then you go into the second round. Rob's volume is clearly significantly superior to Cheeto's, but Cheeto is still there. He's landing jabs relatively consistently. He's landing good outside low kicks, 
And whilst Rob is certainly mitigating the effect, the usual effectiveness of Cheeto's front kicks, his snap kicks, Cheeto's still landing a couple of them, is doing a good job with them. So he's getting beaten in that second round, but he's not completely out of it. it it's not a 10-8 round. And then the ending of the round is Rob getting knocked on his fucking ass. And thus... I don't think there's any dispute. At that point, you have to score it for Cheeto. It's it's 10-9 in favor of Cheeto. In spite of all the volume, in spite of all the successful combinations for Rob, it's a Cheeto round. And the same fucking thing happens in the third round. I'm trying to think. There was a knockdown. It was either the third or the fourth round for Cheeto where he knocked him down with a knee. It was really impressive. It was a left knee. I thought it was going to be the right knee. The way that he steps up, it looks like he's going for a step-in knee and he's going to step forward with the right, but he comes with the lead knee instead. I think it was the lead knee at the time. I think he was orthodox. And clearly Rob didn't expect it either because he got fucking dropped with that one. And then he got dropped again in the fourth round, I think. So he got dropped three times in this fight, and I think he went on shaky legs at one point in the fifth as well. It's frustrating because you're watching this fight and you're watching his fight with Cody Garbrandt. You're watching his fight with Sergio Pettis. You're watching his fight with with Jose Aldo. And all of those fights demonstrate how fucking good this guy is. Honestly, Rob Font's striking. And, and additionally, the way he enters the clinch, the way he, he enters in on his single legs. He's got a really fucking nice single leg. He's got nice double legs as well. I just think he's a sensational fighter and then he gets dropped at the end of these rounds, it felt like Jimmy Rivera versus Piotr Jan, where Jimmy's doing such incredible work for four minutes in a round, doing a great job nullifying what Jan does so successfully against most of his opponents, and then all of a sudden, at the end of each round, it just felt like Jimmy got dropped and and put on his ass, and he loses the round, because clearly, the most significant strike of the round was landed by Piotr Jan, and it sways the judges, reasonably so. It felt like that all over again, and it was fucking frustrating. Now, two fights in a row, where I think, honestly, he was on his way to winning. He was on his way to winning rounds for himself, and then he just, he gets dropped. He gets hurt. He gets put on Bambi legs, and he gets the round taken away from him. All credit to Cheeto. Cheeto landed some sensational shots in this fight, and as the fight went on, he looked so good in those championship rounds even though you were still getting pieced up in terms of the volume in those fourth and fifth rounds he didn't look tired at all it was so incredibly impressive for someone who has never done a fourth and a fifth round in his UFC career I don't know if he's done any in while he was in the regional scene but yeah in his UFC career he's he's been relegated purely to three round fights so to come into his first five round fight and to do so successfully in those championship rounds against Rob Font who has had that championship experience, not championship experience, but has had experience in those additional two rounds. It was incredibly impressive in that sense. His jab looked fucking lightning from Orthodox in particular, but in Southpaw, it was pretty decent as well. His jab looked great from both stances. That was cool. And out of Southpaw, I thought he was having quite a bit of success with his straight left. There were some exchanges where they were both hand fighting they were both looking for wrist control and there'd be kind of a break in action there'd be a break in both of their rhythms and then Cheeto would just snap Rob's head back with this naked straight left and it it looked really good fundamentally sound great technique his work with Jason Perillo I mean it's it's been fantastic for him at least you know what we've seen what we saw in this fight and, and some of his previous fights what what we've seen has been it's been really good so yeah, I thought Cheeto was ultimately, he was pretty damn good. Whilst Rob nullified the usual effectiveness of his snap kicks down the middle, I, he still got a few of them in, particularly in the fifth round. He landed he landed a few of those, and I thought they were quite significant. Yeah, so Cheeto had a, had a really good fight. He was resilient. Fuck, man didn't look like he had a goddamn scratch on him after a 25-minute fight where he, I think he was down 92 strikes. In terms of the significant strike differential provided by the UFC's official stats, I think he was down 92 significant strikes to Rob Font's count, which is crazy. And he didn't he didn't have a fucking scratch on him. It's absurd. Really impressive fight from Vera. Really impressive fight from Rob Font. Disappointing fight from Rob Font, though. That's that.
elsewhere on the card. There was an almost identical finish in two separate fights. Actually, in the second fight I'm going to mention, it wasn't a finish. It was just a knockdown. But it, it's interesting, regardless. Joe Anderson Brito knocked out Andre Philly. Technically, he TKO'd him in the first round, 41 seconds into the first round. And it was it was awesome, but it was also really depressing because all throughout the walk the walkouts, Andre Philly is getting hyped up by John Anik and the boys. They're like, yeah, no, he hasn't left a stone unturned in his preparation for this fight. Andre Philly is here. He is ready to do the damn thing. He's been out training in, in Texas with John Danaher and Gary Tonin. He's ready for this contest. And then whilst they're in the middle of saying that in at the beginning of the fight, Joe Anderson Brito throws this jab, pulls back. Andre Philly goes for a left hook. And as he's throwing the left hook, Brito throws a simultaneous right overhand and clocks the fuck out of Andre Philly, drops his ass, follows up, gets the finish. 41 seconds into the fight. And you're like, Y'all just spent like five minutes hyping up Philly, saying that he is coming into the octagon primed, ready to return, ready to deal some damage, and then he got finished in 41 seconds. That's fucking depressing. It was a really awesome finish, though. Uh, So that happened in the third fight, the third fight down on the main card. And then if you go to the third fight in on the prelims, Gabe Green fought Johan Lanus, which was a fucking wild fight. Really entertaining fight. Gabe Green goes to throw a left hook. And lo and behold, Johan, who has fucking... He's got crazy power. He doesn't look like he'd have crazy power, but he does appear to have some really good power. Johan throws a wild overhand at the same time that Gabe throws this left hook and drops his ass. And it's really animated. Like, the arms are flying everywhere. He didn't get the finish, though. Unlike Joanderson Brito, he did not get the finish. He had to try and follow up, and unfortunately for him, Gabe Green was able to recover. Early on in the fight, Lanus was doing really good job, doing a really good job landing low kicks against Gabe. Gabe was kind of just trying to measure his distance in the early going of the fight. He's just throwing out this double jab that he's not stepping in on. It doesn't even look like he's attempting to land. It just looks like he's attempting to establish some rhythm, establish some shots in the mind of Lanus. And Lanus is just like, all right, cool, I'm just going to low kick you. And he does. Did it effectively. Early on into the fight, Lanus lands this switch right hook up to the temple of Gabe and kind of rocks him. All the whilst, Gabe's just throwing these kind of non-committal three-punch combinations that he sometimes tries to finish with a high kick. Yeah. He doesn't look that great for him. You know, Lanus looks kind of awkward in terms of his, his entire game. Perhaps it's just his physical form. He's not the most ripped dude in the world. But he kind of looks awkward. But he's he's quite effective. There was a grappling exchange. He took down Green, went into half guard, and then Green was able to reverse the position, turn back into him, and then he went to the front headlock, and he very nearly secured a guillotine. He did it on two occasions. Got pretty close with a guillotine. That was cool. I think at this point in the mixed martial arts meta, you better have a really strong front headlock, and you better have offensive weapons in multiple regards from that front headlock. Like, you can't just threaten the guillotine and expect everything to go your way. You should probably also be threatening the Das, the Anaconda. You should be looking at three-quarter Nelson. These are some things you should be thinking about from the front headlock because it is such a frequent position in mixed martial arts. Just due to the fact that you're probably going to be sprawling on guys, guys are going to be shooting on you, and and you you want to convince them that they don't want to do that. And so having a really strong front headlock where you control the position is a really good way of doing that. And Lanus showcased on multiple occasions that he appears to have a really solid front headlock. There was a, a an instance where Lanus shoots on Gabe, and then Gabe goes to the front headlock. He, he sprawls on the takedown attempt, and then he goes to take the back. But he doesn't, like, kind of a standard rule is that you take, like, if I'm going to move to the right, okay, I'm going to try and move around my opponent and go right then you've got to block their arm that will underhook your leg or underhook 
your arm. So you bring my, like, let's say I'm moving to my right. I bring my left hand across myself and I block their left arm from grabbing an underhook. And then I move around and because they can't grab an underhook, it's difficult for them to turn into me and to stop me from taking the back. Well, Gabe Green didn't put his hand across. He didn't block that that arm. And Lanus was able to catch him as he's trying to take the back, as Gabe's trying to take the back. And then puts him on his ass briefly. And then Gabe briefly looks for a Kimura. And then they go to north-south. I don't know, it was, a, it was a pretty interesting exchange. There was some cool grappling exchanges in this matchup. Lanus looked really solid on the ground, really entertaining on the ground. His scrambling ability, it's, it's lots of fun to watch. And then he gassed the fuck out, and the end of the fight was him just getting belted to the body, which Gabe Green didn't seem to pick up on until like halfway through the second round. I mean, he threw a couple in there in the early going of the fight, but he didn't really commit to the body strikes until about halfway through the second round. And then from there, Lanus just, his cardio fell off a fucking cliff. Bada bing, bada boom. Gabe Green was able to get the finish at the end of the second round off of the body strikes. There were two guys in a row who kind of did the same thing. There was this fight between Gabe Green and Johan Lanus. And then prior to that, there was this fight between Natan Levy and Mike Breeden. And both Gabe Green and Mike Breeden kind of ended up just kind of... They fought like a Matt Brown or a Brian Barberena in the sense that it was high guard up, come forward, body shots, just dirty this fight the fuck up get in my opponent's face when I recognize that I'm probably losing the contest and, and that's kind of their path to victory. It worked for Gabe Green. He managed to get the finish at the end of the second round. Mike Breeden didn't really work because he started really employing that at the in the in the third round and, and he was already down two rounds. In fact, on one of the scorecards, he was down 30-27. They scored at 30-27 against him. I disagree with that. Not super emphatically, but like shit. I'd probably give him the last round there because even though I think Natan Levy hurt Breeden in that third round, I thought Breeden was doing fucking sensational work. His volume was great. He was mashing the body. He was mashing that shit. He was just hooks to the body for fucking days. It was really cool. But that was a fantastic fight. I This was a transition to go into this fight because this was poor. What, fight of the night was Marlon Vera versus Rob Font, which, reasonable enough, was a banger of a fight, but damn, Natan Levy versus Mike Breeden was sensational. Natan Levy, man, interesting dude, fights out of Southpaw, really nice straight left, and a really nice left hook as well. Again, as I, I mentioned probably on multiple occasions, the rear hook is a really fucking difficult shot to land, because unlike a straight, if you're throwing the rear hand as a straight punch, obviously you're going to get a lot of range with that because it's straight. You get to extend into it. If you're throwing the hook, though, it needs to remain... I mean, if you want a fundamentally sound hook, you want to keep it tight. You don't want to, you don't want to turn it into a straight punch. You don't want to, you, you've got to keep your, your arm bent. And as such, it doesn't have a lot of range. And because it's your rear hand, it's further away from your opponent than your lead hand. So landing that hook can be quite difficult. You have to cover a lot of distance. But Natan Levy, man, he's great at the intercepting left hook. Guys step on him, step in on him. Mike Breeden did many a time. And Levy was just pulling back. He was hitting the cage, and then he was bouncing back and coming with the left hook. It was really good. It was quite effective. Mike Breeden was on this motherfucker, though. Natan Levy gives up space really easily. He reminds me of Randy Costa. Really interesting offense in terms of their high kicks. I think they have some really good fundamental, fundamentally sound striking in terms of their hands. And there's, uh, well, less in the case of Randy Costa, but in, in Levy's case, some really interesting grappling. But shit, man, both of them need to work on their goddamn cardio. Really, really interesting prospects. Their cardio seems to fall off a cliff midway through the second round, which is problematic in a sport where you will often go three rounds. But yes, Natan Levy. I thought, in spite of the fact that Mike Breeden was busting him up when uh, it, when it came to that third round, just because Breeden got in his face, he was willing to wade through a couple of shots to land his own, was landing sensational body strikes. 
you know, so so that happened in the third round. But in the first two rounds, there was some really calm, calculated striking from Levy. And there was the grappling. Ooh, the grappling was so much fun. He has a really nice single leg. Single leg entries for days. And I love the way that he, he'll pick up the single leg and then trip out the inside of the standing leg. He did that a couple of times. A couple of times. It was really impressive. And then additionally, there was... I mean, it happened initially in the first round. So they're, they're striking. Levy puts up his, his left high kick, which was quite frequent throughout the fight. Breeden catches the kick on the top of the shoulder and then uses it to kind of... uses it as an entry for a clinch. And then Levy pulls guard. He drops to his ass. And then he uses the fact that his leg is already on the shoulder of Breeden. He uses it as an entry as set up for the heel hook and Breeden did a good job of clearing the knee line and he was able to escape that initial heel hook attempt but it happened again I believe in the second round and I mean it's just it was it was good of Breeden to be able to get out of that position but it was really good of Levy because in that instance it was very likely that he was going to be put on his ass put on his back and in the world of mixed martial arts as we're all acutely aware of being put on your back is it's a bad thing. You're going to get it scored against you. There are a lot of judges who are going to weigh that heavily in their mind when they are scoring a round. And so, as we're about to talk about with Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje coming up this weekend, having a really active guard and being really active on the bottom is so fucking crucial to being able to get back to your feet and being able to initiate the stand-up once more and not having rounds scored against you. And so, Levy's rolling for those heel hooks was really cool it was really good I liked it a lot so yeah Natan Levy I will be watching for him going into the future he acknowledged that his cardio wasn't great at the end of that fight I'm very excited to see what he does from here on outwards elsewhere on this card Grant Dawson versus Jared Gordon was a fucking banger Grant Dawson man his back control is sensational Jared Gordon was doing really good things on the feet in my opinion, in spite of the fact that he was at a significant height and reach different, uh, disadvantage, I thought he was doing a good job of getting on the inside. He was using a stri- straight right to the body and then coming up with a left hook. And his jab looked pretty good as well. He was also slipping Grant's jab quite effectively. I thought his timing was great in terms of the head movement. But Grant, man, that guy gets in on a takedown and he just he's relentless. He is a real talent when it comes to the back control. Most of this fight was was basically what Aljamain Sterling was doing to Piotian very recently. Just getting on the back, locking in the body triangle, and then landing good, solid shots from the back, all the whilst you're fishing for a potential rear naked choke. And he did that really effectively at the end of the first round, so he, he likely stole the first round. And then he comes into the second round and does it for an extended period in the second round. And this is... like Jared Gordon had some really good takedown defense some really good escapes. There were some really good scrambles in this matchup. There was one point, I believe it was in the second round. It might have been in the first round, though, so don't quote me. But yeah, uh, Grant Dawson shoots in, goes for the double leg, and Gordon properly commits to the guillotine. And so as Grant is about to slam Jared down to the ground, I think he recognized that the guillotine was a lot closer to being locked in than he initially assumed. And so he goes for a roll. He goes for a front roll as he drops him. I I assume that he wants to go to front headlock position. He wants the opportunity to quad pod and, and escape and alleviate the pressure of the guillotine that way. But Gordon follows Grant as he's trying to roll. And it very nearly turns into a, a mounted guillotine, a topside guillotine. Fortunately for Grant, he's able to escape that position, and they find themselves back on the feet shortly after, but it was, I thought it was really cool the way that they were attempting to counter one another in that scramble. Yeah, lots of fun stuff. And then Grant, man, the finishing, he got he got a rear naked choke, uh, what, four minutes and 11 seconds into the third round, so pretty deep into the fight. But that finishing takedown was so quick, he got back control so effortlessly, was just really impressive. Grant Dawson, based on this performance, as someone said on Reddit, there are not a lot of guys in the top 15 who I would pick him over. There are a lot of guys who I think 
would would steamroll him honestly. But he has the skill set necessary to upset a lot of guys in that top fifteen. Not not a lot of guys. It's lightweight. It's a fucking shark tank of a division. But he has the skill set to offer some significant issues. Jared Gordon is a really well-rounded, solid fighter. And whilst Jared was having a lot of success in that third round with the striking, thought he was he was getting on the inside. He was landing good shots to the body. Shots to the body, man. That was the fucking story of this event, huh? He was landing some good low kicks. He was putting his hands together again. Straight right to the body was really nice. He was coming up with the left hook effectively. Yeah, striking looked really solid, but Grant Dawson's grappling, man. Shit's emphatic. Another great showcase of grappling came in the Daniel De Silva fight with Francisco Figueiredo, who is the younger brother of the current flyweight champion, Davison Figueiredo. De Silva caught a kick from Figueiredo and was able to bundle him over into a takedown. And then from there, was just some really interesting shit. They ended up in full guard, or it was technically open guard. Figueiredo tries to separate the hands. Looks like he's going for an armbar. He switches the hips. And then De Silva goes to alleviate the pressure by spinning on top of Figueiredo. But as he's spinning, Figueiredo catches the, the leg and is able to get the leg entanglement, is able to turn it into a a straight knee bar. It was fucking dope. Kind of odd. You, you don't expect two of them to happen two weeks in a row. Claudio Puelles did it last week against Clay Guida. A fight that I fucking forgot to mention, and I apologize, because that fucking knee bar was dope. There was some cool-ass grappling in that fight, and I apologize for not mentioning that last week, but it was it was cool. I just want everyone to know that I recognize that was a cool fucking finish, and I'm sorry that I forgot about it. But yes, Figueredo did it here. That was awesome. Chase Sherman got finished by an Americana <laughs> by Alexander Romanov. We talked about it last week. Why the fuck did this fight? Why did it get rebooked? Chase Sherman has had a tumultuous career in the UFC, to say the least. And he's coming up against a genuine heavyweight prospect in Alexander Romanov, who just fucking, oh God, he, he dadded him. He completely dad-dicked Chase Sherman. There was one point where he, he had a body lock and he was off to Chase's side. So Chase couldn't even get a fucking underhook, couldn't do shit. The most he could do was like try and grapevine the legs. And then Romanov just fucking suplexed him. Just went over the top. And then in like like 30 seconds later after that, he had an Americana and it was done. It was over. It's like, cool. That was fucking hilarious. I'm not going to talk about Darren Elkins versus Tristan Connolly. It was basically just a classic Darren Elkins win. It was fun. It was cool. It was bloody, as a lot of Darren Elkins fights are. Christoph Jocko versus Gerald Mearshart wasn't that interesting. It was pretty boring, like most Jocko fights are. But Mearshart was doing some interesting things on the bottom. It was fun when he was put on the bottom, which I didn't expect that we would see a lot of because it felt like Mearshart was going to be the superior grappler, but he wasn't the superior wrestler for the most part. Yeah, Mishal was doing a really good job of immediately grabbing one of the wrists of Jocko when Jocko was on top and then hiding the wrist behind his own leg like he was going to go for an omoplata or something. Actually, rewatching it back, it, it looked like he was going for straight arm locks or, or potentially seeing up a Kimura with it. Which is really interesting shit. Just watching the exchange in the third round after Jocko was able to get Mishal down. I mean, it's kind of messy because it's deep into the fight. But shit, it's it's interesting. So like I said, Mishart's trying to hide that 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 wrist and trying to get either a straight arm lock, trying to get a Kimura, potentially set up an Omoplata, whatever. And then Jocko's able to get out, and Mishart nearly gives up his back at one point and then rolls through. Well, he goes for a triangle, then he rolls through after getting stacked. Jocko nearly gets a fucking head and arm choke position. He's off to the side with the cross face on. And then Mearshart's able to kind of wrangle back into, I mean, he's nearly in half guard, but he's technically in side control. But he has a frame on, and then he rolls over, and he's able to get back to front headlock. There's just some fucking wild shit going on in that third round. It was pretty interesting. And then he hits like a shrug, like a switch, and very nearly gets out, or is very nearly able to get 
to the back and then Jocko just like fucking puts him back on his back and then Mearshart is put in like completely flattened Z-guard. I don't know. Mearshart's fun to watch grapple. Even if he's not the greatest fighter in the world, he is fun to watch grapple. All right, let's talk about PFL for like two seconds. I basically want to talk about this Henan Fiera finish because it was kind of funny. Basically, it happens literally 20 seconds into the fight, 18 seconds into the fight, so not that fucking deep into it. But yeah, Henan Fiera goes and he's in orthodox. He throws this really lazy snap kick with his rear leg, so his right leg, and then he steps forward and through into southpaw, and then he throws it again, and again, he throws it really lazily. He's not trying to do any significant damage with it. It looks like it's just a setup for the hands or some shit. And Jones just level changes and falls into this fucking lazy-ass kick and gets brained, gets knocked the fuck out. It's like, cool, all right, what the fuck? (laughs) Hennan Fierro walks away with a first-round victory. Cool. Bruno Capeloso was able to get a finish against Stuart Austin from the three-quarter mount. I'm just talking about that one because... It's one of, like, I, I caught a couple of fights on YouTube, and I caught the Bubba jenkins Carl Boschniak fight on YouTube, but then it got deleted, so I can't actually look back at it. So yeah, I've kind of just got random fights that I took note of and went, oh, I might, I might talk about them. Realistically, the Bruno Capeloza fight against Stuart Austin, nothing that special. I thought the top control from Capeloza was good. I mean, he's going to be an he's an issue in that that PFL heavyweight division. He would probably be considered one of the favorites for winning the comp in the heavyweight division. Yeah, he's cool. He's good. It was a good finish. Six points for him. Gratatata. And then yeah, Karl Boschniak did what he usually does. He's a really entertaining fighter, but he puts it on. He gets it all together at the far too late. Similar to what he did to Zabit. Similar to what he's done to a bunch of fighters. Yeah, he got his shit together way too late. Ultimately ended up losing a really entertaining decision to Bubba Jenkins. It was cool. It was cool. I forgot that Chris Wade and Lance Palmer fought this weekend as well on that same PFL card. I didn't care about that and I'm definitely not going to watch that. I guarantee that was boring as fuck. Also, Ante Deliha got a finish over Matthias Scheffel. I will watch that. I haven't watched that. I'm going to watch that. Cool. Yeah, there's a couple of fights on this card that I actually do need to watch. But why watch it when we could talk about the upcoming UFC 274 card, which has a couple of really interesting fights. Obviously, the one that we need to talk about most preeminently is Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. Now we are, what, nearly 38 minutes in, so I think I've got a little bit of time to talk about this. Okay, so Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. Justin Gaethje in recent years is obviously kind of... He's... He's become less of a berserker as opposed to when he came into the UFC and he's fighting guys like uh, Michael Johnson. And his approach is, let's just go balls to the wall and fuck shit up. Uh, Justification for his initial style was, well, he couldn't really see that well. So he was a catch and pitch striker. He would put up a really good high guard and he would low kick the fuck out of dudes. And when guys would try and punch his high guard, that was basically his cue to strike. All right, your left hook is on my forehead. Well, if your left hand is not, you know, if if you're punching me right now, then your left hand is currently not attached to your chin. And as such, it is not defending your chin. Therefore, I'm going to fucking throw my, my counter hook. That was basically his approach to mixed martial arts. Guys would strike him, and when they were striking him, that's when the chaos began. And yes, his his fucking low kicks, man. Crazy powerful. He had some crazy bangers in what was then known as World Series of Fighting. Eventually became PFL. Then he moved to the UFC. Had that banger with Michael Johnson. Probably the fight of the year in 2000. And I think that was 17. 2017. And then he had another banger with Eddie Alvarez. Got knocked out in that thanks to a, yes, it was a, a knee from double-collar ties for Alvarez. Gaethje got really fucking tired by the end of the third round there, and Alvarez was able to take advantage of that. And then in his third fight in the UFC, he fought Dustin Poirier, was having 
I mean, it was a really back and forth fight. Both guys were landing some sensational shit. Dustin was able to land a really hard left hand at the beginning of the fourth round. Was able to follow up, finish that fight. Gaethje was actually doing very well in terms of the low kicks. It looked like Dustin wasn't going to be able to continue on for much longer than the fight went because those low kicks were doing such effective work. Anyway, regardless, he lost that fight. He went back to the drawing board, came back against James Vick, did a really good job cutting off the cage, landed a good left hook into straight right over the top of Vic, and Vic fell down like a fucking giraffe, it was awesome, and then from that point, we kind of saw a different version of Justin Gaethje, there was a lot more distance control, a lot more fainting, his left hook was, I thought, a lot more practiced, he looked sensational against uh, Edson Barboza, they, they initially came out, and they were just yeeting fucking low kicks at each other, as we expected, and as we desired, but the finish came as Barboza was trying to circle off. Gaethje hit him with a really nice right hook. Uh, Barboza, as we as we established in that video that I did on Barboza versus Khabib, Barboza will just kind of circle aimlessly. He can be quite predictable in his approach for deterring pressure. He doesn't really deter it. He just kind of runs away from it and then, you know, suffers the consequences. Yeah, Gaethje caught him as he was circling out, caught him with the right hook and flattened his ass. Then there was the uppercut against Cow Cowboy Cerrone. That was really nice. Yeah, his striking just really elevated from that loss to Dustin Poirier. He kept getting better and better and better, and obviously it peaked at the Tony Ferguson fight when he won the UFC Interim Lightweight Championship. Just put on a sensational performance. Again, left hook looked so good in that fight. Had a really nice jab. Got caught at the end of the second round with the rear hand uppercut from Tony, but was able to recover from that and then just put a fucking beating on Ferguson for the rest of that fight. And then he lost to Khabib. And then, since then, he's fought Michael Chandler in a fucking banger last year. That was a fight of the year contender. And now he's back. He's ready to fight Charles Oliveira for the championship, the undisputed championship, once more. Oliveira's really interesting because, I mean, obviously, as as has been discussed a million and one fucking times, he started off and he was kind of up and down. His striking wasn't really that good, but his grappling was always solid. It's just, you know, against really well-rounded guys like Jim Miller earlier on in Oliveira's career. He struggled. He struggled because what he was showcasing on the feet wasn't, it wasn't good enough. Wasn't good enough to get him over the hump. But as the years have gone on, his striking has gotten better and better. His last loss was in 2018, I'm going to say. It was at that UFC 208 event in Detroit. Same one where Holloway beat Aldo in the rematch. Ngannou knocked out Overeem, I think it was. 218, sorry. It was UFC 218. Yeah. And uh, he lost, Charles Oliveira lost to Paul Felder. It was brutal because I think Oliveira was doing really well on the ground, but then Felder was just able to start stuffing uh, Oliveira and then just finished him with some brutal elbows off to Oliveira's side. It was really, really brutal. And then Oliveira kind of got a necessary step backwards in terms of competition, started beating the fuck out of him, got another win over Nick Lentz. I don't know why they rebooked that for a third time, but they did. Got that finish over Jared Gordon, got that finish over David Taymor. His striking looked sensational in both of those fights. His left fucking hook looked brilliant. And then he goes into that fight with Kevin Lee. I believe he was the underdog in that fight. In retrospect, probably shouldn't have been the underdog in that fight. And he showcased, obviously, his really active bottom game, which is so necessary in mixed martial arts now. As, as The same thing regarding the front headlock that we were talking about earlier. In today's mixed martial arts meta, you've got to have a really active, really impressive front headlock because it is at such a common position in mixed martial arts. And it's the same the same kind of thing with, you know, bottom guard. If you're going to be on the bottom, you've got to have an active guard. You've got to constantly be threatening submissions. I just faded away from the mic there. I apologize. Yes. So Charles's bottom game, really impressive. Striking's been fucking leveling up fight after fight after fight. His snap kicks, dude, they're so fucking good. We saw that against Dustin Poirier in his last contest. So obviously he, he won the championship against Michael Chandler after Khabib vacated the belt, retiring. Showcased his exceptional left hook in that contest when he knocked 
uh, Chandler down because he knocked him down and then he followed up and that's how he got the finish. But then it was the Poirier fight which many people considered the unifying bout, I guess. Poirier was being treated as the uncrowned champion. Oliveira was being treated as, well, you know, he's a placeholder, essentially. And the odds reflected that, even though they fucking shouldn't have. And then Oliveira came out there and it was a very tight first round, but ultimately I thought Oliveira was having a lot of success going to the body. He was fucking kneeing the shit out of the body. He's always shown a really, really competent clinch game. I don't think a big part of it is just the fact that he's not scared of being taken down. He does not give a shit if you catch his kicks, and he doesn't give a shit if you catch a knee and then turn that into a single leg and, and trip out his standing leg. Because he's probably gonna he's gonna roll for some shit. He's gonna he's gonna roll for a fucking knee bar. He's gonna roll for X guard. He's gonna try and reverse and he's he's gonna create a grappling exchange that puts you at risk and you're gonna be the one bailing out of the ground exchange. You know, so he's unafraid to throw fucking knees in that clinch, and he's unafraid to come up the middle with elbows. He has some brutal elbows. I think he landed a really brutal elbow against David Taymor, and that was—I think that's what—I think that's what created the finishing exchange. He landed this elbow over the top on Taymor, so he's got really good elbows inside, and he's got really good elbows on the outside as well. He's just such a fucking varied fighter, and against and against Dustin Poirier, we saw the full breadth of that. We saw the extent of that diversity. He looked fucking great in that fight. Got hurt a couple of times, whatever. There was that exchange where I think people accused him of cheating because he was hooking the glove from Poirier. I think Poirier now says, oh, sorry, Poirier now says that, yes, he was hooking my glove. But at the time he said, oh, you know, it's a fight. Shit happens, whatever. I, I think he, he still stands by that. I think he still stands by that attitude of, well, it's a fight who gives a shit didn't seem particularly egregious from Oliveira. It also didn't happen in the fucking finishing round. The finishing round was the third round, not the second round. So, you know, make of that what you will. Whatever. But yes, Oliveira was able to get the submission earlier on in the third round over Poirier. And I think people have started recognizing that, hey, maybe this guy's actually fucking legit. Finally. Like, shit, let's forget about all the times that he fell short years ago, and let's start focusing on what's been happening in the past four or five years, you know? And there's been a lot of development in the past four or five years for Charles fucking Oliveira. And now he's got this fight with Justin Gaethje. It's going to be a banger. High key, I'm probably going to... I'd bet on Oliveira in this matchup. It's a difficult matchup, to be sure. And I think Oliveira's going to struggle with some of Gaethje's counters, because Gaethje in the Ferguson fight in particular, has showcased a really good aptitude for fading away from from bouncing out of distance and then coming back with the 3-2 or coming back with a left hook into a right overhand. His right overhand looks fucking good. His straight right's looking better or has been looking better in the past few years. It's, it's those fadeaway shots and coming back with combinations. Those have been really impressive recently. And Oliveira steps in so assuredly with his snap kicks. He picks up that lead leg, both from Southpaw and Orthodox, and he snaps it out there. And that's how he kind of falls into these dirty exchanges. That's where he starts elbowing. That's where he grabs the double or the single collar ties and he starts kneeing the fuck out of his opponent's bodies. He kind of relies on those snap kicks to break down the distance and additionally hit the body of his opponent so that he can drain their gas tank. That's where he's got to be careful. Same thing... The same truth was evident in the Poirier fight, going into that Poirier fight, because he was going to be throwing the snap kicks, and we all knew that the right hook over the top for Poirier was probably going to be landing frequently, and the straight left counter down the middle was probably going to be landing for Poirier. But it didn't matter in that contest. Oliveira was able to work through that. He he was able to dirty up those exchanges regardless. And I think the same thing is kind of going to happen here. I think... Oliveira is going to have to watch for that counter left hook of Gaethje. He's going to have to watch out for the the rear hand uppercut. That rear hand uppercut was a problem for Cowboy Cerrone. That rear hand uppercut was what knocked down Michael Chandler in the second round of Gaethje and Chandler's fight. And because Oliveira does stand quite tall, he has a really good high guard, and I think he's he's better nowadays at defending straight shots than he ever has been. Really good at parrying the jab when he sees it coming. But yeah, I think I think there's a, there's an opening for that rear hand uppercut for Gaethje. So 
Oliveira's got to be conscientious of that. He's got to be conscientious of those counters coming his way. And obviously, he's got to be just conscientious of the low kicking as well. Because he lifts up that lead leg so frequently to either teep or to threaten the teep. You can certainly see Gaethje just chopping the fuck out of his kicks. Out of his legs, sorry. And um, creating dirty exchanges that way. In terms of Gaethje's takedown defense... It wasn't great against Khabib. Khabib was able able to just float to the back. It was fucking weird. It was really impressive. But he showcased... I mean, against Eddie Alvarez, he just yeeted himself. Like, Alvarez went near his leg, and Gaethje basically backflipped to get away from the takedown attempt. He avoided the takedown attempts against Chandler in their fight as well. I think his takedown defense is pretty solid. I think he has a pretty good sprawl, and I think he's going to be very active with his takedown defense. The question is, does it hold up in the third and the fourth rounds against Oliveira, who, yes, has a very frenetic style and is probably going to be he's going to be getting tired going into those championship rounds, but he's I think it's very it's difficult for me to believe that he's still not going to be able to get a takedown even when he's tired in those latter stages of a fight. Also, I think his preparation is exhaustive. I don't think he's going to be getting too tired going into the latter stages of these fights. I think, you know, against Kevin Lee, they went into the third round and, and Oliveira still looked as frantic as he was early on in the fight. It was, I think the finish came pretty early on in that third round, but still, the point stands. So yes, I think Oliveira should be the favorite in that scenario. I'm not actually going to look up the odds right now. But yes, if, he, if he's not the favorite, I'd recommend putting a bet on him for whatever my word is worth. In the co-main event, Rose Namajunas is fighting Carla Esparza. I don't know, my G. That just looks like an easy win for Rose Namajunas. Carla Esparza deserves it. She's kind of gone through the ringer. She's worked her way back into a championship fight, but shit. She's the queen of... She's kind of the queen of lay and pray. I, I just don't think... Like, Rose's striking has come so far since their initial meeting. Her jab is so much better. Her distance management's so fucking good. Her kicking game has gotten really good as well, as we saw in the, the second Yin Jacek fight. I just, I think Carla's going to struggle to close the distance to get in on the takedown. I don't think she's going to be able to hit many clean double legs. Rose does get a little bit tired going into, you know, going longer in the fight, but I don't think Carla's going to be able to put such a pace on Rose that she gets that tired in the same way that she got tired against Jessica Andrade in both of their fights. I just I just don't see that happening. So yes, I think Carla Esparza probably gets handled in that fight. Michael Chandler's fighting Tony Ferguson. Oh, I don't like that fight for Tony Ferguson. He just hasn't been active enough on the bottom in recent fights for me to look at him and go, yeah, he's, you know, he's going to do some shit. And on the feet against Benil Dariush... I just don't think he looked, uh, you know, he's, I just don't think he looked as anywhere near as effective. I think perhaps part of that was just that he was a little more timid going into the clinch in the same way that he was against Anthony Pettis back in the day. Yeah, but since that Gaethje fight against both Oliveira and Dariush, yeah, it just felt like he, he didn't have the confidence just falling into the clinch and going for things like his spinning back fists and his spinning elbows. He does such effective work in the clinch, or used to. Again, I reiterate, that Pettis fight, the Barboza fights, when he's getting on the inside, when he's breaking the distance down and he's just getting in these motherfuckers' faces, that's when he's causing chaos. He's causing dangerous exchanges. That's when he's able to land his elbows. And he's got a really surprisingly snappy jab, but I just don't think it was anywhere near as effective in that Dariush and those, in those Dariush and those Oliveira fights as they had been prior. I just think Chandler... Chandler's got to watch for the uppercut that Ferguson will sometimes throw. But ultimately, I think his top game is is strong enough. He has a really solid double leg. I think he's likely going to take Tony down, just sit in top control, and that's going to be three rounds. Or alternatively, he probably goes with the straight right to the body, straight right to the body, then throws a jab cross up top and knocks the fuck out of Tony. I'd really not like to see that, but you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Then Shogun's fighting fucking... Ovin St. Prue? What the fuck? Why are they running that back? What are they doing? Is Shogun still ranked? He was ranked like a year ago. It was weird. I didn't like it. Like, how the fuck is Shogun still ranked in this godforsaken light heavyweight division? 
But yeah, I, I don't know what the fuck. Yeah. I'd say OSP should probably win that fight, but that man is so up and down. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. And then Cerrone's fighting Joe Lozon. I believe that's a double retirement fight. <laughs> Something like that. That should be a double retirement fight, if it's not. That'll be interesting, I think. I think, uh, I think Cowboy should probably win that fight. His jab's still decent. He's still got a decent... I mean, he'll always have a really solid switch kick. If you're lows on, you kind of want to do what Masvidal did all those years ago. Catch the kick and then counter back with the right hand. Lozon's good enough to do that. Cerrone's got a great bottom game. Lozon likely tries to take him down with a single leg and then, you know, work from the top. I, I think the ground exchanges should be really fun in this fight. I, I'm very much excited to see what happens on the ground in this matchup. Additionally, neither of them probably get knocked the fuck out on the ground. That, that's good. I don't need to see these men who are practically dinosaurs at this point in their career. I don't need to see them get knocked the fuck out, all right? Even if Donald Cerrone is a bit of a dick. So yes, I think those ground exchanges will be really interesting. I think Cerrone's active guard will be fun to watch against Lozon, who I think is still a really solid uh, guard player himself. And Sorry, top game player. What am I saying? I don't know. Yes, he's good on top. I think it'll just be really interesting. Randy Brown is fighting Chaos Williams. That's going to be a fucking banger. Randy Brown, I love. I thought he's striking. Who did he fight most recently? Because I did catch his last fight, and he looked fucking great in it. Jared Gooden. He looked pretty damn good. It wasn't actually that one I was thinking about. The Alex Oliveira fight, which was short. It was only like 2 minutes and 50 seconds long. But I thought he looked really good in that. Damn, he has been nowhere near as active as I thought he was. Think, looking back on it, I thought that he was a lot more active than he was in the past few years, but since 2019, he's fought, like, only three times. He fought Vicente Luque in August of 2020, fought Alex Oliveira in April of last year, and then he fought Jared Gooden in October of last year. Gooden missed weight there. That was a catch weight. Okay. That should be fun. I, I'm very interested to see that. I think Randy Brown has come really far. I thought his his striking against Oliveira and against Gooden was really impressive. I'm excited to watch that. Macy Kieson versus Norma Dumont. I actually don't mind Macy Kieson. I actually don't mind this chick. Who did she fight? And I liked her performance. It was against. I think it was against Marion Renault. I thought she looked really solid there. It was either against against her or against Shana Young. But she looked solid. She looked fucking solid. I think her striking is actually kind of high-key decent. Yeah, I'm excited to watch her fight. Brandon Royval versus Matt Schnell. That's going to be a fucking banger. Royval is scrappy as fuck. Schnell, I think, has, has looked pretty solid as of late. That should be a banger. Uh, oh, Lord Jesus. Blagoy Ivanov versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima. I keep thinking, how does de Lima remain in the UFC? But then I check his, his Wikipedia account, and he actually has won a few fights as of recently. It hasn't all been downhill. It's just whenever he fights anyone in a well-publicized fight, that's when he gets fucking flatlined, or that's when he gets finished. Yeah. This should be a layout for Ivanov, but I don't know. Rogerio de Lima had a pretty good win recently over Ben Rothwell. TKO'd him early in the first round. Looked pretty good doing it. Had that win against Maurice Green, who I don't think is that great of a fighter, but like shit. Also, that fight with Ben Rothwell broke a fucking banger of a streak. Dating back to 2014, Rogerio de Lima had just been rotating in terms of wins and losses. You know, beats Igor Pokrajak, loses to Nikita Krylov. Beats Clint Hester, loses to Antigulov, beats Kimball, loses to OSP. Just that went on and on and on. And then he beats Ben Rothwell and he breaks the streak. Congrats! Maybe this means he will never lose again. I don't fucking know. Uh, Francisco Trinado's fighting Danny Roberts. That's a fucking banger. Holy shit, that's a banger. Trinado, I expect him to do his old man Trinado thing and just surprisingly win the fight. So that'll be cool. Anything else? 
Not really. I've kind of touched on all the fights that I give a shit about. Yes, there is an announced bout stated here on Wikipedia between Andre Fialio versus Cameron Van Camp. I would like to see Fialio fight again after his last two fights, but I just don't... Like, is that actually happening? I have no fucking clue. Anyway, yes, that's probably the end of this episode because I don't think I have really anything else to talk about. I could just quickly check the MMA subreddit and see if there are any other events that I need need to talk about that are coming up very soon. There's a Bellator event between fucking Beta versus Congo. Jesus Christ. Oh, oh yes, Romero was meant to fight Man Manhoof this year. This year, this weekend. And uh, I believe Melvin is out of the fight. So that's cool. PFL 3 is going down on Friday, US time. I believe that'll be Thursday for me. Kayla Harrison's headlining that. How fucking sensational. How exciting. It's against someone who I don't recognize. So that's cool. There's an LFA event. Cool. Yeah. You know. There are some interesting things happening. Yes. Very excited for UFC 274. Anyway, I'll let y'all go. It's been an hour. This was the third episode of the Five Figures Podcast. Thank you for coming along on this wild ride. I am going to be working... This week, I'm, I'm intending to work on a video about Mike Brown, who you will know as the ATT coach. The famous coach of fighters like Yoenny and Jacek, Dustin Poirier, Amanda Nunes. I'm intending to write a video on him. It's going to be about how he is essentially the forgotten goat of the featherweight division since he got beaten by Jose Aldo. And then Aldo was able to go on his crazy run through WEC and then into the UFC. Mike Brown was kind of left in the dust. But in the early days of the featherweight division, Mike Brown was doing some dope-ass shit. So I think I'll do a video on that. I think I can, like, the name of it, the forgotten goat of featherweight. I think that'll be clickbaity enough to maybe get me, like, a K worth of views. That'd be cool. Anyway, have a great week. I'll probably talk to you early next week after UFC 274, and I'll be really depressed if Charles Oliveira fucks this up for me because I predicted Rob Font would win this past weekend, and he lost. So, you know, my prediction catalog is not looking great right now. Anyway, thank you very much. Catch you later. Bye.